This episode of AVXL was recorded on July 30th, 2020. We're going to talk about CES 2021, which will be all digital. The 72nd Emmy Awards, which Netflix is kind of crushing because they kind of made a ton of television this year. What it takes to get an app on another platform. Cleaning your volume knobs. The joy of getting older AVRs to work with newer HTCP technology and quite a bit more. And don't forget, ask at AVXL if you got a question for us. Testing one, two, three. All right. I'm not blowing anything out. Ignorant weasels chewing on your soul. Ignorant weasels. Do you have speed? Yeah. Welcome to AVXL, your guide to the best in home video and audio gear, no matter what your budget is. I'm Patrick Norton. Hey, I am Robert Heron. Hopefully, I will manage not to breathe during this episode. Oh, I've got your back, man. (laughs) (laughs) You and your breathing, Mr. Norton. Crazy week this week, mostly because... After weeks of essentially being like, we're going to have CES 2021, we're going to have CES 2021, book your hotel rooms, we're all going to come to Vegas, although even I think June, July for booking hotel rooms is a touch early, although my hotel rooms technically, I think are already booked, Uh, CES 2021 is going to be all digital. Gary Shapiro, president and CEO of the CTA, said on Tuesday, quote, amid the pandemic and growing global health concerns about the spread of COVID-19, it's just not possible to safely convene tens of thousands of people in Las Vegas in early January 2021 to meet and do business in person. I agree. Watching the COVID-19 numbers right now, I am, uh, look, the, the best thing about this was telling my wife that there was no physical CES 2021. The visible unclenching of her body that, that, uh, took place when I announced that uh as somebody who's come home with strep throat twice from CES uh a couple of vomiting and and hacking flus that uh, subsequently wiped out my entire family I was a little uptight attending even with N95 mass an event that had that many people from that many parts of the world all gathering together and probably not nearly as uptight as a lot of the rest of the world was thinking about going to the United States given that our numbers are climbing Without a doubt. Don't send us political emails about this because we'll just stare at you blankly. Because at this point, my new home state of Missouri has roughly doubled its case number and other parts of the country seem to be following. It's a mess. It's it's a pandemic. We don't have a vaccine yet. And it's going to be a while before we do. I'll be honest with you. I am disappointed because, A, you and I both love to see the shiny new televisions, even if these are the hand-picked creme de la creme of production uh, on the show floor. We like to hear the new speakers, which is hard to do over the internet and listen to the headphones. And quite frankly, wandering the show floor allows me to find smaller companies or products that you know, maybe don't have a lot of PR coverage or news coverage. And we've found a lot of interesting stuff that way over the years. I have no idea what CES is going to do. We wait, as we like to say, with bated breath. I want to say the folks at CES had sent out a questionnaire a couple months ago back to everyone who were already pre-registered. I'm pretty certain that one of the biggest concerns and feedback that they received was related to this very topic. And a lot of people simply saying, no way. For myself personally, I was going to skip this one anyway, and I'm glad they are now well ahead of schedule going ahead and making this a virtual event with the appropriate feeds and speeds we all want to look and check out. (laughs) There's a lot we can do remotely in terms of seeing the new stuff. No, we can't get hands on, of course, but still. This is, uh, I think, the way it's going to be for at least this year and probably next year, unless we have significant improvements in our ability to test people and hopefully one day soon, a vaccine. (laughs) Ha, ha, ha.
it's also in a lot of ways like homecoming for us because we get to see people we've worked with in the industry and where they are now and catch up with them. So that part is going to be definitely something I'll miss even more than looking at the hardware and software. 72nd Enemy Awards. Netflix gets 160 nominations. We were talking earlier this year about how there is just more television being produced today than there has ever been in the history of television. There's there's too much to watch. We're not kidding. And the sources have changed dramatically. Yes. Even oh in the goodness. last decade. It's uh, nuts when you, when you look at these numbers. 160 nominations surpasses, quote, what any of the big three broadcast networks ever did when there was no real competition. You know, for decades, there was ABC, NBC, CBS, and of course, PBS. But ABC, NBC, and CBS pretty much split all of the nominations. Netflix had more than 40 series up for possible nominations this year. Uh, HBO got 107 nods down from, I think, their Game of Thrones peak was something like 137 nominations. But HBO's 107 nominations comes from 21 shows. Netflix's 160 comes from 40. Netflix is producing a metric ton of uh, content. Uh, Watchmen, the HBO series based on the Alan Moore comic book slash movie. Well, not that Alan Moore did the movie, but I'm a huge Watchmen fan going back to the comic book days. I really enjoyed the 2009 movie. The HBO series, which uh, starts with the Tulsa Race Massacre of 1921. Uh, this is something that really hasn't been talked a lot about in American history. Uh, 35 blocks of the Greenwood District of Tulsa were pretty much leveled. Dozens or hundreds of people were killed. It was really one of the worst chapters uh, in American history. It picks up on a lot of the mask and superhero themes of the and goes above and beyond in getting both visually stunning and utterly weird. You know, you're a fan of, of The Watchmen or you're not a fan of The Watchmen. And if you're a fan of The Watchmen, man, this just straps you into a cannon and launches your ass. Uh, nice. Everything gets bigger and weirder. I was shocked and amazed by how good this series was. Uh, HBO's rather brutal family drama Secession got 18 nods. Amazon got 20 nominations for The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel which is something I have difficulty saying. The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, which is utterly hysterical. I really enjoyed that. My wife is an even bigger fan of that one than I am. Uh, Apple TV+, Plus, Disney+, Plus, they all got their first noms. Uh, Apple TV+, Plus for the morning show. Quote, Steve Carell was nominated for Best Actor in a Drama Series, and Jennifer Aniston was nominated for Best Actress in a Drama Series. Billy Crudup and Mark Duplass were also nominated for Best Supporting Actor in a Drama Series. Uh, Disney+, Plus. Got nominations for The Mandalorian. <laughs> Unfortunately, The Mandalorian is up for Best Drama Series versus Ouch. Better Call Saul, The Crown, The Handmaid's Tale, Killing Eve, Ozark, Stranger Things, and Secession. Uh, the Mandalorian accounted for most of Disney Plus's 18 nominations, probably because it was the biggest series to come out of Disney Plus in their launch, which what just happened a few weeks ago, it feels like. It does. Earlier this summer. <laughs> There's a lot of good television it's amazing right now it's amazing there is too much to watch which is why i've decided to give up on sleep that's so i can enjoy more television and reading time there's a lot for me to catch up on i'm too old to not sleep anymore in addition to my <laughs> my youtube addiction <laughs> we've talked a lot about how long it took amazon prime video to get on iphones or the battles the the platform battles the hardware battles um, between Google and Amazon and Apple and what gets hosted where and where you can buy whose hardware. Um, 
you know, it took a long time to get Amazon Prime Video on iPhones and Apple TV, or for that matter, to get Apple TV on the Roku. Uh, and we're still waiting for the deals to settle out so HBO Max will show up on Roku and Amazon Fire devices. And hopefully by the time it does, they have uh, support for better quality video on HBO Max because there's so much interesting stuff there. By the way, HBO Max update, the Harry Potter films going away. They were basically a short deal to sort of flog the excitement around the launch of HBO Max. The <laughs> Studio Ghibli stuff, the anime. Animation, that's going to be uh, that's going to be on there for a while. I will say, I'll be perfectly honest with you. If you love the Harry Potter movies, buy the Blu-rays. They look so much better than streaming. They just really do. Many TV reviewers use some of that content specifically yeah. for checking out certain scenes, and it, it can be quite the bit of eye candy for that particular task. One thing, at least for Roku, that I am waiting on, as far as their standalone devices, is one that actually supports Dolby Vision. That's my yeah. only complaint at the moment. You have it built into the TVs that are powered by Roku, but not in mm-hmm. any standalone Roku devices that I've come across so far. I am seeing Dolby Atmos support now with my current Roku Ultra from the appropriate characters who are delivering that sort of content. As far as visuals go, it, it seems like the uh, external boxes are still stuck with just HDR, and I'm hoping that changes sooner than later. And hopefully somebody <laughs> will point out, hey, there is a new Roku, Robert, you forgot about, and blah, blah, blah. I'm waiting. I'm waiting patiently. With bated breath. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Well, one of the side effects of the uh, of the House Judiciary hearings with Facebook and Google and Amazon and Apple was the revelation there's just pilot documentation was floated around or floating around through this something like a million pages of documents associated with the uh, judiciary hearings one of the emails that came out was from 2011 when apple executives were talking about how they might want a 40 percent fee for subscriptions at least for the first year of digital content they ended up with uh, 30% with possible reductions in the amount they were taking from the subscription fees after the first year. Now, there's 2016 emails that show Apple halved its 30% App Store fee to 50. Basically, they were charging Amazon 15% instead of 30% as part of the deal to get uh, Amazon Prime Video's app on iPhones and Apple TV. That was uh, the negotiating that uh, iPhone's Maven master leader, uh, Eddie Q, did uh, in the 2016 deal with Amazon and Uh, and probably at that level with Bezos. Other tidbits that were coming out is Amazon undercutting competitors like diaper.com so they could lower the price possibly to buy it and then raising prices on the products you buy. Uh, And while I'm talking about Amazon or hammering on Amazon, as much as I love Amazon, I have a lot of issues with Amazon. There's an interesting article or a painful or emotionally traumatic article. uh, It's beyond interesting from the Institute for Local Self-Resilience. And One of the things that they talk about is that Amazon keeps an average of 30% of each sale made by independent sellers on Amazon.com. That was 19% five years ago. And the VIG on that, the amount of money they make on that, is $60 billion as of 2019, a year in which Amazon's massive web services did just $35 billion. Uh, The fact that I can say just $35 billion is a sign of how unhinged the amount of money is here. Um. (laughs) They charge that because of the convenience they offer. It is not going to be your cheapest place to buy anything, but not anymore. You say convenience, the Institute for Local Self-Reviolence might call it monopoly. (laughs) Yeah. Hey, you can sell direct. You you, you get people onto your site, and that's one thing. You, You charge whatever you want, and you keep it all for yourself. But to get on this thing many people are addicted to called Amazon's website for shopping. Yeah, 
Right. Simply not the case anymore. Amazon used to be the place you go to for the cheapest prices. And yeah, that, that is just so taken much a, a left turn and gone straight toward just straight up convenience now. And yeah. apparently at the expense for independent sellers or at their direct peril. <laughs> hey, they <laughs> don't have to be there, but the money is to be made. We've also talked about it, you know, you don't necessarily assume anymore that Amazon has the best price, especially on significant items like televisions or speakers or stuff like that or headphones. You should check alternative venues, whether it's Best Buy or Costco or, uh, for that matter, Walmart of all places. Not that I'm a huge Walmart fan. It is interesting to watch uh, what has been coming out of these hearings. And I'm sure people will keep digging in and finding more and more stuff about that. It really makes me want to uh, enable some sort of qualification for any future elected official that they have to assemble a computer from a pile of working parts. Or <laughs> I'll give them option number two. They can just simply do a clean install of Windows on a blank hard drive. I'm going to leave it right at that. If they could complete either one of those tasks, <laughs> I think they should be up there questioning these tech leaders about things uh, you Otherwise, know, I, I, some I, of the some of the questioning was really like what what <laughs> obviously sir you have never worked with a search engine or search engine optimization or the history of your browser or the fact that if you're logged into your machine you might get different results than if you're not logged into your machine but as you pointed um, out there were a handful of poignant questions directed at them with right. well-researched information and it highlighted some of the problems of having these gigantic companies managing you know, <laughs> our personal privacy and how we shop and what we see and all of it all of it people by the way hang on update we're gonna do 4 p.m thursday august 6th that's gonna be 4 p.m pacific so it's uh excellent and we're gonna experiment with some other days and times so that we can work around people's schedules because, of course, obviously 4 p.m. on the West Coast is not convenient for people who are working at 4 p.m. Uh, in the afternoon, but it helps uh, to not be so late for the East Coast. We're going to play around with that so we can have an official hangout for our patrons at patreon.com slash avxl. And thank you to each and every one of you for being a part of that. We're also going to experiment both with Skype and the new Google Meet because Hangouts no longer exists. We'll probably still call it a Hangout because I like saying Hangout. I promise to talk about cleaning uh, potentiometers or pots or volume knobs, getting the static out of your electronics, your AVR, your older uh, receivers. or if you, maybe, maybe you bought a, a, a cheap AVR at a garage sale or an old receiver at a garage sale because you want garage speakers or you want a nice inexpensive entry-level uh, stereo amplifier for listening. And I'll be honest with you, there, is, there are just few things that hold value less than uh, <laughs> AV receivers. When you get back to the older 5.1 receivers, a lot of them are solid and have decent amplifiers, but just don't resell for squat because they don't have all of the modern uh, decoders inside of them. Exactly. Mechanical cleaning, uh, emery paper and stuff like that on RCA jacks can be really, really hard. And I know this because I used to live very, very close to the Pacific Ocean. I used to live very, very close to the Atlantic Ocean. Uh, oddly enough, the fog in the Pacific was more problematic for creating really nasty uh, oxidation and uh, salt corrosion 
on jacks. And I've played around with strange little devices that are essentially sort of like emery paper pens. One was like a custom RCA jack that had abrasives inside of it with the idea that you would plug this on and rotate it. And those tend to get really destructive really quickly. I've had a lot of luck over the years with CRC's QD electronic cleaner, which is available in just about every automotive parts store on the planet. It is safe on PCBs. I've used it on volume knobs. Uh, The electric switch on my suburban tailgate, it saved me a good $250 for a replacement switch. It'll clean up RCA jacks. You spray it on, it dissolves. If you're particularly worried about electronics, CRC also makes a QD contact cleaner. Might be a little more delicate. It's a lot harder to find. Both are mostly like 70-80% naphtha and uh, difluoroethane, which is a polite way of saying do yourself a favor and use these in an open or well-ventilated room or take the thing you're trying to clean up into the out of doors. I have not run into anything I have sprayed with this that disintegrated under the contact of it. It has been on vintage PCB boards and stuff like that. I might get a little nervous about super old capacitors and stuff. If you turn a volume knob and you get static or cruft in that, Essentially, what you want to do is open up the case after you unplug it from the wall. Please do not electrocute yourself. Don't touch any of the capacitors. But oftentimes, in the potentiometer or volume knob, there is a hole you can use to flush it out. Sometimes spraying in through the shaft works. But essentially, you want to flood the pot, uh, exercise it, and rinse it. And when I say exercise, I mean turn it all the way to the left and all the way to the right and rinse it out in between. And that will sort of loosen up and get all the cruft out of there. Do that until maybe there's not snot running out of the bottom of it and then give like one last shot of it uh, some kind of lube to prevent wear QD electronic cleaner is one of my favorites because I can find it anywhere the classic tool for audio professionals is Deoxit D5 they use it for contacts and for jacks and for volume knobs and all sorts of stuff uh, Keg Laboratory makes that I'm sure someone doesn't like it for some reason other than they think it's expensive, uh, but it's also a lubricant. For some applications, you might follow up with something like their F5 fader lube, or if you live in a corrosive environment like I used to, Deoxit makes something called Shield S, which gives you a little more protection from uh, salt or other offensive things. Really, the hell of living near salt water. (laughs) I I could not (laughs) overemphasize... I'd be curious to know, I use a synthetic grease for things I know that are going to be corroded, potentially, especially with outdoor connections. I always put a little bit in on that connection before I actually seal it up, even if it's a quote-unquote waterproof connection for something outdoors, say like for Ethernet cable. And that's something I've done a lot of, and I've had no problems with it. And I happen to have a big tub of this company called Super Lube. It's a it's a synthetic grease. Uh, actually, it's food rated. In case you got it, I think this is probably used for the internals on things like food processors and other electronic products that could come in within contact with food. But it seems to work perfect for keeping those contacts and connections crust free generally uh, granted it is a grease so if it is exposed to dust and other things it will collect right. it but if it's something that's going to be sealed anyway that's where i'm a little more apt to recommend that also too if you buy an electronics product that is or any device you have around the house that say is missing a knob maybe it's broken or cracked in some way if you have access uh-huh. to a 3d printer Go check out the selection of knobs you can download over on Thingverse. Uh, that is oh, wow. a website for 3D parts that people yeah, create and then publish their their stuff there. You can literally find any style knob for anything from a lamp to a an electronics product that you have, and you can scale it to just make it a perfect fit. If you have access to that 3D printer, 
do check that out. I found a great little part for encasing a, a small electronics uh, device I have that came without a case. And it's just like, you know, I could find something that sort of works, but then I'm like, wow, somebody created the perfect thing right there and it's available for me to download on Thingverse. And then I just go find a friend <laughs> with a 3D printer and spend a couple hours printing that thing out. <laughs> but anyway, for the knob part in particular, especially if it's something really unique, I guarantee somebody mm -hmm. else has scanned it and scaled it and you can find a at least something you can paint to match pretty closely. So uh, Thingiverse, if you've never been there, T-H-I-N-G-I-V-E-R-S-E dot com. It is Thingy. Oh, I'm sorry. I always say Thingiverse. Okay. Yeah. Thingy. I like that better. Uh, <laughs> I'm just giggling because they have Mackie volume knob replacements. Yeah. They have generic knobs. They have Fender knobs. They have, you know, guitar knobs. Toyota Tacoma radio volume tuner knobs. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> All that little plastic crap, if it ever broke on you or something, you can generally find a good facsimile of that to 3D print. And that's awesome. those products are becoming more and more affordable, too. And that's something I want to get into next. But I don't have a good excuse, nor the space to actually have a 3D printer right now. Well, I'll let you <laughs> know how there. the... Uh, I got a monoprice cadet 3D printer for the boys to play around with. And I'll let you know how that one works out. Cool. Ask at avxl.com if you have a suggestion for cleaning your electronics or you're recoiling in horror. You want to emphasize the need to lubricate your pots after they've been cleaned. Email us ask at avxl.com. Randy's got a brother. Randy's brother has an older 2015 Samsung UHD TV, and he's got a Sony UBP X800 UHD player, a Roku Ultra, and a Harman Kardon AVR that's got HDMI 2.0, but only supports HDCP 1.4. He says it's a great sounding receiver, but it can't pass the latest HDCP 2.2 encrypted UHD video, which would be problematic with that Sony UHD player. I understand that like the Sony UVP-X800, the HD Fury Vertex and Integral 2 can solve most of these compatibility issues by separating an HDMI AV signal into separate video and audio streams. Are there any other products or DIY small board, single board computer products you can recommend this for? Um, or recommend for this? I don't think either of us knows of any sort of Raspberry Pi single board computer project that's designed to strip out HDCP protection to work with older devices. You had some switch ideas. I think he's on the right path. Something that is yeah. effectively like a matrix switch and the HD Fury products he mentioned, those are awesome, but probably overkill for exactly what you're trying to do. And they're, right. and they're a little pricey. $250, $300 easily. But very useful if you need certain yes. features those contain. Uh, one thing I found is for $51 currently on Amazon is an HDMI matrix switch. Uh, four by two, where you can plug four source devices right into this. And then it gives you two HDMI outputs that can both be used in conjunction with the same source. This should work as far as I can think of. And it also lists HD audio format support. This probably isn't going to help you like suddenly or miraculously add Dolby Atmos to a AVR that doesn't support it. But since you already have Dolby True HD and DTS HD support built into that AVR, you can still yeah. take advantage of that by simply plugging all your devices into this switch, run one of those outputs directly to the TV so you get your 4K in HDR, and then the other output coming from that matrix switch would go right into the AVR. Now, I was thinking that if perhaps there is a format compatibility problem, maybe with the uh, True HD or DTS HD Master Audio, if that is the case and that happens, always try 
configuring those source devices for LPCM audio. That is lossless as well, and that is compatible with everything. And you can simply have the source device say, hey, just make it five channels or seven channels of PCM style audio and send it that way. That is if it just doesn't work right out of the box. The only downsides really are that you're not using the HDMI inputs on the AVR as a switch anymore. You're using this 4K matrix switch. You're adding another part to the mix, but I think you'd have to anyway to kind of keep everything the way it is. There may be a better way of doing this, but I think for that $50 price point for this particular matrix switch, what's the brand on this thing? Enbure. Enbure. Doesn't matter. I, well, yeah. Uh, just search for a, a 4x2 4K <laughs> matrix switch. This thing also has some additional features, too, and I was looking through some of the feedback on it, and folks say it is also compatible with RGB 444 up to 4K60 if you're looking for a device to feed a computer monitor or other interesting projects like that. But that's probably the least expensive thing I can suggest short of, yeah, I, I could think of more expensive things to do, but I would start there. And if it didn't work at all, even doing my LPCM trick, still, mm-hmm. at least you could return it. That's a good thing. Yeah. Being able to return it, it's not a bad thing. And trying to keep your otherwise capable AVR chugging along for a few more years, at least until you just have to break down and buy something that's Atmos compatible and get your get your high channels on. <laughs> well, there's no right. I mean, a lot of people exactly. are com- completely happy with 5.1. And quite frankly, most movies sound great in 5.1. I never was particularly compelled to go to 7.1. I am snuffling around Atmos. True HD and DTS HD master audio. That's lossless glory. I mean, that sounds fan-freaking-tastic. I'm looking forward to my next AVR upgrade, which will probably be right about the time I give up and get the Atmos speakers for the ceiling in the basement. I'm also laughing because you mentioned SuperLube, and I have a pen applicator of SuperLube sitting uh, on my desktop next to my Ah, keyboard. So convenient. I have a tub of that for when I do, especially for outdoor Ethernet connections. That's where I use it the most, I would say. I just shove that into ports (laughs) willy-nilly. Keep the the crusties out. Uh, it sounds like my relationship to uh, the stuff you put on engine parts to, or uh, anti-seas, duh. <laughs> yeah, but for Randy, it's definitely, I would start with that 4x2 matrix switch. That is 4K HDR compatible, yeah. HDCP 2.2, 4K 60, blah, blah, blah. That should be able to provide that video feed to the TV, and I assume there will still be video if you're mirroring the exact same output going to the AVR mm-hmm. and hopefully then that will just pull the audio off of that and allow your AVR then to process it. And like I said, if that didn't work, try LPCM audio and see if that's a fix that will make it all gel together properly. That's a product with 1,471 ratings averaging four stars. People seem to be fairly happy with that one. Cool. Martin tweeted out at Robert Heron at Patrick Dorton, what type of portable devices do you use to play music when you're walking, biking, driving? Opinions on connecting your devices to your car's audio system? Hardwire with 3.5 millimeter plug, Bluetooth, etc. Any limitation woes concerning storage problems? No, not at all. <laughs> yeah, we, you and I have vastly different uh, reactions to this question. 
it's hard for me to bring anything other than my phone with me. Right. And I have tons of room on my phone with or without an internet connection. That's something I've set up and have and I enjoy, but I appreciate streaming services too. I love streaming services. Even when I lived in San Francisco, I would routinely get into parts of the Bay Area or within a half an hour of our house where there was limited, poor, or no cell phone connectivity, especially if I was heading up towards Sonoma County. I got used to buying, A, the largest phone I could buy so I could store a ton of music locally on it, and B, for a long time, I was incredibly resistant to wireless headphones. Cambridge Audio made a a pair of in-ears, wireless in-ears called Melomania, and those radically changed the way I would listen to music sort of around the house. Not my serious listening when I'm going to super concentrate, but if I'm walking the dog or if I'm going to the supermarket or if I'm working on something, the microphone in them is mediocre at best. That might be generous. They sound great. They cost like 100 or 125 bucks, depending on when you buy them. And they have ridiculous battery life. Like you're talking like nine hours plus multiple recharges. And they have a little tiny case that would fit right in my pocket next to my keys. So rather than having uh, earbuds with wires, I was suddenly had a great sounding set of earbuds that would fit in my pocket when I wasn't listening to them. For noise canceling, uh, Sony's WH-H900 uh, which just they just replaced it with like the 910. Uh, I started using uh, when I was doing really long drives in my truck because my truck's so damn loud. They also started using those around the house when I wanted more uh, noise blocking than the Cambridge Audios would deliver. For serious mobile phone listening, like invariably I have like one high end set of headphones traveling with me when I go to like CES or when I travel. And so when it's quiet and I'm back in my hotel room, I've got a a lightning USB camera adapter with an AudioQuest Dragonfly plugged into it. In terms of the car, Bluetooth is fine for most applications. Aptex, you know, is theoretically a step up, but the truth is most people's cars are so loud, you're not going to hear a lot of the improvements you'll get from a super high-end DAC. I've also used uh, 3.5 millimeter cables from a Dragonfly Black, again, via a lightning to USB camera adapter, which does power in and USB out in my Dodge Mega Cab simply because I haven't updated the head unit yet and I'm not particularly compelled to update the head unit at this point. And when I do, I will probably switch to using Bluetooth on that because it's a big loud ass truck and it doesn't make a lot of sense for me to spend the extra money unless there's like an affordable Aptex headset. For something low cost too for cars, there are so many standalone speaker products you can buy now. Yeah. You wouldn't even have to really touch anything on the head unit. Yeah. Use an FM adapter for it if need be. Some of them are even Alexa or Google enabled so you can have your assistant with you if that's Mm -hmm. important yeah take a look at what gear you have i have a portable speaker that is rechargeable that is bluetooth that Mm -hmm. sounds freaking fantastic and the battery life is like six hours on this thing (laughs) or longer that would work just fine in the car especially if maybe the speakers in the vehicle were also kind of like on the out and out at least then you have some good audio that's uh, relatively portable and something you can literally just throw in the back seat yeah. if you want. It's still all controllable through your phone with your favorite sources. I am constitutionally incapable of bicycling or snowboarding for that matter uh, with headphones or earbuds. I won't walk down the street wearing headphones in public. I need to be able to hear <laughs> everything around me. I'm just not yeah. one of those folks. It's too isolating. <laughs> It depends. Like, if you know, when I was working, when I was staying late nights and going out to grab food in, in some of the... The only places that had decent food were often crappy neighborhoods in San Francisco. Therefore, I would not 
wear uh, headphones when I was out walking because I was afraid of, you know, uh, well, getting assaulted or getting robbed, getting mugged. I guess mugged is what you would call it. Bicycling, I am too terrified of cars to not have all of my senses available. So I just, I just, I can't do music while I'm riding a bike. Too many years of being nearly run over in New York City back in the day. Walking, you know, in a lot of areas, I'm okay with it. But uh, yeah, as soon as I get in anything, it's like a serious environment or a serious traffic environment or a serious, you might get your ass kicked environment. Yeah, my ears are <laughs> are listening. Yep. Um, something I picked up last fall because I got it in for review, Fios uh, M11, which is a dedicated Android-based digital audio player that holds two 400... Well, I've got right now, it'll actually hold larger cards. I have two 400-gigabyte microSD cards in it. It's got a 5.15-inch touchscreen. Um, it's got custom op-amp inside of it, dual AKM, AK4493 DAX, because... I mean, I don't need truly balanced listening. I think balanced connectors on headphones are kind of silly, but it also has a volume knob, which I don't think is silly. I think this sells for about $450 now. I paid a little bit more than that when it was new. This is a spectacular device for uh, getting the best out of a set of headphones or for testing headphones. I'll be curious to see if anybody's ever actually measured it. I can't hear any audible issues, period. Fio also has more affordable, dedicated digital audio players that are great for a lot less cash. Uh, A lot of people think they're dead. I think for the vast majority of people, if you've got, you know, streaming all the time or storage on your phone, Bluetooth or Aptex or LDAC connections are pretty freaking amazing these days. Hey, I'd throw it out there to the audience, too. If somebody does have a favorite affordable product that would Mm -hmm. seriously augment an old car audio setup, please send it along to us. That's something I'm just kind of curious about. I would rather just utilize stuff I have if I can, especially if it's just for the music side of things and it's going to be using my phone as a source device. But there are plenty of affordable ways of just upgrading something without having to dig in behind the head unit or other crazy ways. You know what I found in the back of a toolbox a few weeks ago? What? A cassette adapter. Hey. <laughs> 3.5 millimeter Frankly, cassette adapter. Amazing tech. <laughs> I want to say there's a YouTube channel called Technology Connections, and they just covered that device recently. And there was some surprises there. I was actually quite pleased. Your PC, are you are you recording right now on your new PC build? Yes. This is the very first recording I've done on this computer. Actually, I finished it up this morning. It took longer, I think, to do all the detail work than it does to actually assemble parts. It's like, oh, how do you want to route all these cables? <laughs> it's the little things, clearly, that just added up to at least almost doubling the amount of time. I am super pleased. It is all but silent during normal operation. The fans all are designed to run as long low as they can but still keep things cool the power supply fan doesn't even kick on until it's like 50 percent load or more which is really nice i had a very smooth windows install everything went perfect Mm -hmm. except for this crazy z490 motherboard i have that has this crazy network chipset from intel that somehow wasn't detected by intel's own driver update utility nor windows update It had a specific note that said, do not try to install drivers for this. It simply won't work. You have to update the chipset's firmware first with this little bizarre file that gives you (laughs) a DOS box, basically, (laughs) that does its magic in the back. Then it literally said I had to then shut the computer down and pull the power cord on it, wait, plug it back in, and then it would detect properly and then allow me to install the driver. But then, of course, still... uh, 
it was pretty minor. I'm actually using the Wi-Fi built into this motherboard, which is Intel's Wi-Fi 6. That works perfect, uh-huh. and that was uh, fully detected. But just for the Ethernet port on this motherboard, it was a little bit of jumping around to get that functioning properly. The only thing I really need now is a new 3000 series NVIDIA graphics card, as this setup, its current bottleneck is definitely the GPU now. I have taken care of all the other parts. and uh... <laughs> I... Uh... If you want to buy something temporarily, I may have a solid source of a large pile of 1060, 1070, 1080 grade GPUs. Ooh. I wouldn't buy a 2080, a, a high-end 2000 series NVIDIA card right now. No. I also was, was talking to a, a couple people that review uh, GPUs earlier this week, and it's kind of a toss-up. People are either like, I think they're going to have an announcement in August, or they think NVIDIA is just going to sit on the 3000 series for as long as possible before they start uh, releasing them. Well, at least for AMD, their new cards have already been mentioned as a fall release date, and it's likely the news reports I'm seeing, everything is being timed around the game console launches. And both of those consoles will feature the latest hardware from AMD. And for the first time ever, it'll be the first crack at the new GPU tech is going to be on a game console and then the standalone graphics cards for PCs. AMD is just literally waiting for the consoles to launch and then they're going to follow that up within 30 days with the graphics card launches. I'm hoping that equals a very, very (laughs) non-pixelated Christmas. (laughs) One would hope. High graphics and availability is like. Oh, yeah, I'm taking my time. The uh, TCL 8 Series 65-inch television was on sale for a brief span earlier this year for like half off. What's the story on that? The 8 Series with Quantum Dot Color, the 25,000 micro LED backlighting Mm -hmm. system that provides about a 1,000 zones of local dimming control. It is a great step-up value 4K HDR TV with Roku built in. Best Buy seems to be one of the exclusive distributors for it, and they had it on sale for $1,000, listed at $2,000 when it launched, and mm-hmm. it jumped back up to about 1500 bucks for a while there, but it is back at a cool $999.99 if you're in the Holy market cow. for a solid-performing HDR 65-inch screen. That's definitely one... For the money, it's hard for me to point someone somewhere else and get a better value than that. You can always go OLED, but at 65 inches, that's going to cost you a pretty penny. Almost twice as much as what this TV would cost. Yet, you're getting the brilliance of that incredible micro-LED technology for just super bright picture quality with HDR content and the quantum dot collar and Roku. And it's just a solid TV at a good price. If you can get it for that $9.99 price, you're not doing bad. That's a good upgrade for anyone. At what point do you bite the bullet and spend the money on a OLED panel? If it's in the budget, if you typically only watch TV in a brightly lit room, or it's just like, I don't normally sit in a dark room ever. That's where LCD panels, especially very bright LCD panels, can be a more compelling viewing experience because they can dump out two to three times the light output of the best OLEDs right now. And that can make a difference. But when it comes down to black level performance, especially in a light controlled environment, there is no better form of eye candy currently than the OLED screens. But they are a premium price TV, especially for 65-inch. I think your 10 series from LG right now is about $1,800 if you shop it around, maybe a little bit less. Mm-hmm. Almost double the price of what this TCL 8 yeah. series is on sale. Plus, That's an incredible price. The usability of that Roku interface is just really nice. I have seen some stories, though, about 
comparing the TCL's 5 series to even the 6 series, let alone the 8 series, the 5 series is kind of a jump back. It's a great value for affordable, or their 4 series for that matter, but right. comparing visually for HDR playback and 4K playback, the 6 and the 8 are really where it kind of steps up to some of the most beautiful looking screens you can get for the money today. And that 8 series is just one of the few TVs out there too, using that micro LED technology with so many so many little LEDs driving <laughs> like so 20, much thousand. Yep. <laughs> Quite a few. Or 25,000. Some crazy number. Yep. That's a solid buy. That's a, and I'll throw that out there once again as the pick of the week. That's a really good price. I'm also enjoying baseball too. I have to say, even, I could care less that the stadiums are empty. It's just nice to have that on TV. Although, yeah, seeing a third of a team get wiped out post game by their COVID tests didn't help, but. <laughs> Would that be the Marlins? Yes. Jeez. Yeah. Oh, it's chaos, man. Chaos. Well, we hope, uh, uh, yeah, the best of, yeah, we hope they recover quickly and we hope it does not impact their play. Nope. And uh, if you have somebody at home or someone you know or anybody who's suffering from COVID, we hope they get well and we hope you stay healthy. And uh, we're going to do our best to stay healthy, too. Uh, we have three episodes of AVXL as of today for the month of July. This is going to come out to you after July 30th when we're recording it. Uh, we have turned off the patron charging from patreon.com slash AVXL so you don't get charged for July. Uh, we will have a hangout next week. And I think we are actually have everything running to the point where we will get four episodes out in August, which I'm very excited about. So do us a favor because we're going to be recording episodes. We want your questions. Email ask at AVXL.com or tweet at Patrick Norton or at Robert Heron. And with that, ladies and gentlemen, I'm Patrick Norton. Hey, I am Robert Heron. We'll catch you next week on AVXL.